are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. Today I have my friend, Dr. Trish Hutchinson. She actually lives around the corner for me and it's one of those people that I'm just like angry I didn't connect with 10 years ago, but here we are, you know, we're connecting today. So um, she is a physician, pediatrician, and founder of a really cool um, company and educational platform called Girlology. And this today, so today, you know, we're going to talk a lot about stuff that will be really important for if you have adolescent girls, if you have younger girls, um, great stuff for moms. But I think it also is just a good conversation for women in general. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about that's just broad women's health. Um, And yeah, particularly if you have female patients, I think this will be a really important show to listen to. So thank you, Dr. Hutchinson, for being here. Thank you. I'm so, this is going to be such a fun conversation. I'm really excited about it. I know. I love talking to you. I'm like very sad that we just connected and now I'm leaving. It's, you know, like all this good connection and I'm I'm moving to Nashville, but hopefully we'll stay in touch. We can just like this zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me, so tell me about you and how, how you transitioned in your career over to to starting girlology and just tell me your, tell us your background and everything. Wow. Okay. So, um, I'm a pediatrician, as you mentioned. Um, I, when I went to college, I had no idea I wanted to go into medicine. I thought I was going into marine biology, but a sea cucumber threw up on me and it freaked me out. So somehow I ended up going into- Is that a thing? You should have seen it. It inverted and just got everywhere. And I'm like, ah, I was an official marine biology for one semester. And then I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I had a great, great uh, guidance counselor who kept telling me I need to go into medicine. And I fought it until I was a senior in college. Um, And that's when I kind of decided to go into medicine. Uh, I kind of always knew pediatrics. I did like OBGYN, but whenever the baby was born, I tiptoe around towards the um, Mm -hmm. bassinet and forget the mom. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went to Medical University of South Carolina right here in Charleston. Uh, Very fortunate that I did my residency at Vanderbilt in Nashville. Um, so, oh, yay. Yay. so lived there for three years and then was very happy to come back to Charleston because I don't like winter storms. And a couple of years up there, it was crazy cold and icy. So I was glad to come back here, but I was in private practice for 10 years. And, um, a good friend of mine, who's also the other co-founder of Girlology, we would meet up and talk and she is an OB-GYN who also specializes in pediatric gynecology. I was the only uh-huh. female in a four-person group. So we saw a lot of the same type patients. And Mm -hmm. what we realized is uh, patients would come in, the girls would come in as like, when am I going to start my period? How do I put a tampon in? You know, and the moms would come in and say, oh my God, tell her not to have sex until she's married. You know, all these questions. (laughs) And you just can't get the answers out in a 15-minute well visit. I mean, you have two kids. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And it's frustrating because we as physicians, as pediatricians, we have all these things we have to talk about in every visit, but you just can't get, you know, drugs, substance abuse, uh, sex, period. I mean, school. Those are like big life issues. Those aren't small little things either. I mean, those are very big. Very big. And we're supposed to cover them all in that little well visit. And it is impossible. Um, And so the conversation that gets dropped the most often is the most difficult or awkward conversation. And that's usually the one about changing bodies, periods. I mean, there was a study done by Duke a couple of years ago that actually said that about only a third of visits contained any sort of sexuality education. It lasted like 32 seconds, you know, and it was because the provider. Not quite enough. Right. Nope. 32 seconds. There's not a lot that you can say. Um, And so we started Girlology in 2003. I feel like that was ages ago and it really actually was ages ago as really an extension of our clinical practice because we wanted to provide a safe space for girls mm-hmm. and their parents to come um, to get medically accurate information, just like what yeah. you do here, right? Evidence-based. Yeah. They get stuff on the computer everywhere else, myths. I mean, there's so much out there that we just wanted to, to have a place. So we really are a digital health platform um, that has been trying to educate girls and moms since about 2003. 
So that's kind of where we are. And you guys have books? Yes. So um, actually, as I said, I went to the College of Charleston here. Um, They wrote an article um, about our path and uh, someone that um, was editor at HCI or Chicken Soup for the Soul Books. I don't know if y'all are still familiar with them. So she came up to us and we met her at Starbucks, which was our uh, meeting place at the time, our office, and we signed a contract to do a book series with them. So we did a couple of books with them and since then we've self-published a few and they're mainly um, pubertal books. Um, We are actually very excited to be writing a book for the Academy of Pediatrics and it's going to be a more inclusive puberty book. So that's going to be out soon. We're really excited about that. Um, Yeah, we have a few books out there. We did start Guyology because... Um, mom's parents were always asking us, what about the guys? You're focused on girls. Um, So we did have a male pediatrician that actually helped us write a curriculum. So we do have some information about boys puberty. And um, we also have a co-ed reproduction class, which in its live form was lots of fun to watch fifth and sixth grade girls and boys sit in a room and learn about sex together. But it was not as uncomfortable for them as it was the parents. I think the parents were like, <laughs> I was going to say out. that sounds like my personal nightmare, like as a child, even and now like, you know what, as a child, that sounds kind of like a nightmare. And as an adult, that sounds kind of like a nightmare, but also I bet it was a hoot. I mean, I bet it was hilarious. Well, I think it's so important for girls to understand what boys go through, boys understand what girls go through. And, right. and it helps them understand that these are conversations that they can have together. Cause eventually they're going to have to have conversations with their partner, whether they're boys or girls or whatever, but it just opens up communication. But we had so much pushback initially from the parents about, oh, oh my God, they are not, she's not going to learn about sex with the boy in the room. And then after the first couple of sessions, it stopped and the parents were really appreciative, but I always wish I had a GoPro on my head (laughs) because the facial expressions of of the parents, they're so much worse than the kids. The parents are really squirming. And then we always say that kids are bringing y'all together just so parents will understand and be able to talk about this, but it is, it is hard. I miss our live programs, COVID. So hopefully we're going to get back over to that. I'm, I think sooner rather than later, yes. it's, it's, it's happening. And you and I have both been vaccinated, fortunately. So we're yes. like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully others will follow suit, but okay. So if you, like if, if you had an hour in a, in a visit with a parent, I mean, where, where would you start? You know, what, what would you, what is it that you're like, gosh, I wish everybody knew this, which that's such a broad question, but I guess, you know, where do you start? I need like two, three, four hours to do that because there's so many <laughs> hours and hours. Uh, but I think the main thing that I would say, especially if there are parents out there with younger kids, start these conversations as early as possible. Way you know, earlier. when they're in the bathtub going eyes, nose, ears, mouth, they should be saying vulva, clitoris, urethra, anus, but nobody can use those words, right? <laughs> I know. I'm, I am. It's so funny. I'm like, I had enough. I, we've just started, you know, really saying that actual anatomical terms because I was reading about how important that is. And it just, you know, you just don't think about it when your kids are so little that everything is a cutesy name, you know? Right, right. But that it's actually detrimental to them yes. to not use proper anatomical terms. I did not know that. That Yes. It's children, sexual use prevention. Yes. I I never knew that until recently. And so now, but it, I mean, it still feels hilarious for me to say like your vagina, you know, to my three-year-old. But why can't you say it? Isn't that funny? Oh, I say it. I do. I mean, I do now. I don't know. It just feels hilarious to me. But I think it's a lot of it is cultural. I mean, we here in the United States put so much shame and embarrassment around our genitals that it's easier to put these cutesy names on it instead of calling it what it is. Right. Yeah. But uh, I will tell you about a patient of mine um, who came in for recurrent UTIs with her grandmother, um, and she finally came in with her mother, and she kept saying that Uncle Johnny plays with my pocketbook. Well, grandmother didn't know what her pocketbook was. She thought it was her pocketbook, but it actually Mm -hmm. was what she called her private parts. So the mom came in. So it is so important to teach kids the names so people can understand, but also not just the names that their boundaries around your private parts, whatever your bathing suit covers is your private part, you know, 
Right. Um, and I think that's really important, huge, huge issue with sexual abuse prevention. So I challenge every uh, parent out there to look in the mirror, say the private parts to themselves until they feel comfortable with it. Because kids also are so stinking smart. They know that if you feel awkward about something, especially teenagers, right? That they should feel awkward about it. Well, they know that when parents feel awkward about it. So if parents are coming, feeling awkward to have the conversation, then the kids are going to feel awkward about it. So right. you need to check your own, um, your feelings about and your emotions about um, what you're saying and just try to be straightforward, you know, non-judgmental, straightforward, use those words. It's such an interesting time too, with my kids' particular ages. So they're three and five and, you know, it, it, we, we talk about, we struggle with, like they're at an age where they literally need help with like actual toilet activities. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always like, well, okay, so what, how do I teach them? Okay. This is private. This is your private part. And like, and these are the words and yes, in private, but this person is allowed to touch it because they may be at school or at, you know, grandma's house or whatever. And that's a little bit hard for me to, to navigate as well. You know, what, teaching them boundaries and who is and is not allowed to do and say and see things. And how, how do you navigate that? That's a little younger than what girlology does, but I'm just going to no, catch no, you while you're is, here. That is awesome. And this is what we tell people in our program is that you did exactly what you do. You name the parts, you talk about them being private. Um, they're only really for you to touch and to see. But what we say is sometimes you need help with your privates if it hurts mm -hmm. And, but never let anybody touch or see your privates unless another trusted adult is in the room. So we always okay. say, even if a doctor says, let me check things out. No, no, no. Mom or somebody else has to be in the room. Chaperone. Grandma yeah. wants to check things out. Somebody else needs to be in the room. And I know there are emergency yeah. situations and you can always say if, if it's an emergency or painful, but I think kids need to know that that area is so important that a trusted adult or someone they know needs to be in the room with them when someone's examining them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking literally about like wiping, uh, going to the bathroom, oh. but that's like such a brief thing, you know, I, I, gosh, and kids are so, there's just, it's, they're so little, you know, at, I know. At, at that age when they really need the most help. And it's such a weird, um, kind of hard time to navigate, but it's, it's so important. Um, well, and the average age of sexual abuse is really around nine. So at that age, yeah. they are taking care of themselves and should know, um, their private parts. They don't need boundaries. help. Yeah. Yep. They don't. Exactly. And, that, and that, but you have to start talking about that when they are three, four five, or they won't know yes, by the time they're definitely. nine. Definitely. Um, so what, um, talking about guilt and shame, what, another hard conversation to, to navigate, I feel like with parents is guilt and shame about things that happen during puberty versus what's just normal, you know? And I think we've all probably been brought up, at hopefully getting better with time, but in these conversations of being private, things are very private, you know? And, um, right. anyway, how, how do you, how do you address that with, with parents who just aren't ready, you know, to, right. to talk to their Kids and a lot it. of parents wait too late, right? They bring up puberty right. when the kids are in the throes of it. But what we've learned through our programs that if you get the kids earlier and you talk about it, I mean, we have kids going, oh, I'm going to get a breast bud, you know, and they're slinging tampons over their head. They're so excited. So the earlier you right. reach them, the better off you're going to be. If they're in the throes of it, they're eye rolling, they're, they're just embarrassed. So again, you're a three and five-year-old they love boobs, right? And you yes. can start talking about breasts and Hey, pretty soon when you start puberty, your body changes, you're going to get breasts just like mom, you know? Mm -hmm. So you normalize the process of what's going to happen. Um, little girls sometimes see mom naked. Some are too modest. You know, you talk about your pubic hair. You may talk about, you know, you start talking about body odor, acne, and just normalize it because if they realize it's a normal process, that's about to happen. They don't mm -hmm. have that shame around it. Although peers sometimes give them shame around yeah. it. But as parents, if we can do our very best to start early. And the other thing is it's not just one conversation. You know, people bring their kids to our programs and we're happy. Please outsource to us anytime you want to, but don't check off your box that, okay, I did that. You know, there's so many conversations right. that revolve around puberty or sexuality. I mean, it just needs to be a continuum of conversations. It really does. 
I heard from a friend one time whose girls are a few years older than mine. And so I'm like, okay, great. Y'all do it first and I'll watch what you're doing. And then I'll just do that. (laughs) She told me that, um, you know, you want to talk to your, your kids so much earlier than you think, because if you're not talking to them, they are talking to their friends. Well, they're talking to their friends anyway, but you want them to view you as the expert in this. Otherwise they're going, they're going to their friends and their friends, you know, may have older siblings or whatever, and they may make feel, make them feel like they're the experts. And so then they're not talking to you about it and you no longer have control over the narrative and the conversation and, and what it is that you, you know, you want to teach your kids specifically about, um, you know, sexuality, all of that. And so I think you said something, um, expert, but I will say that I don't want parents to ever feel like they have to be an expert, that they can find the information wherever they need it. But I want True, parents yeah. to feel like they are the go-to person. So that is right. what we say is that you are askable and available. Now, we always say eight is great to have the conversation about reproduction. Moms look at me like I have 14 eyeballs like you're on crazy. my forehead. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Eight is in the second or third grade, and they are already talking about sex on the playground. I promise you they are. And if you allow a kid that has an older sibling to tell your kid what sex is on the playground or in the cafeteria, then when you tell your kid about it, you've got to backpedal because they've already heard some pretty crazy, bad connotations stuff around it. And so Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely want to be the first one. Now I made it a big deal in my family. I was like, all right, when you turn eight, you're going to learn the miracle of life. It's going to be awesome. So my husband <laughs> looked at me again, like you are crazy. And so when my oldest turned eight, um, she was so excited and I was a nervous wreck. I was like, there's no way I can do this. So she kept saying, mom, mom, come on, let's talk. Let's talk. So I'm eight. I, yes. I'm eight. <laughs> I get to hear it. And so uh, we sat in her bedroom and I remember this vividly. And so I went through the whole thing, you know, about males have a penis, females Mm. have a vulva and a vagina and, you know, the penis gets stiff and erect. And I went through the whole thing and she sat there and she, you could tell she was mortified. And then she goes, how does it get stiff? And she had a pencil in her hand. She goes, does it stand up like a pencil? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. That's kind of right. That's kind of right. And my husband was walking in the hallway thinking, I can't believe she just did that. Um, But she really didn't have many questions. It was interesting. And so when my youngest daughter turned eight, she's about two years younger. She's a little bit less mature than my older. That always happens, right? Your first is always much more mature. Yeah, yeah. I just said, I can't do it. There's no way. She's just not ready for this conversation. And my oldest is going, oh, yes, you are. You are going to tell her. She's like, if you don't tell her, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her. So I told her and she had great questions. I mean, she talked about what if you don't want to do that? So we got to talk about consent. But the reason I'm telling this whole story is that years down the road, my oldest had told me that she had already learned about it on the playground. And that wow. she had heard a different version than what I had told her. And I could tell her body language was totally different from my youngest, who hadn't heard a word about it, but was asking, yeah. I mean, she was asking all kinds of crazy questions. So parents, I just, I'm just would love for you guys to really just think about having this conversation at a younger level. So you are the first person to touch it and that you are the go-to person and that they know that you feel comfortable talking about this. Otherwise... Dr. Google doesn't have all the answers. Playground doesn't have all the answers. Friends don't have all the answers. Um, so and we're, we have a reproduction class that we're happy for you to sit through with your child. It's actually, um, parents are very appreciative because we are very non-judgmental and very science oriented in the conversation. Yeah. But yeah. we do at the end, we talk about, I hate pleasure. You know, there's, yeah. you gotta, you gotta tag that on there with your kids that, um, pleasure is a part of sexuality as well. So if you've been following Dabble Co. and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. 
So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, it solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out and they will know that I sent you and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Because if you, and I think this is important too, and, and I'll, I'll ask you a question that Ed and I were actually debating the other day. And so, you know, sorry, this is no, like, my, oh for my own benefit. So we were talking about, okay, so if you, you can't just skip over that part, right? Because... That's a, that is a part of it. And I think that there, our kids are in a Christian school right now. We're talking about, you know, do we send them to public school in Nashville or do we keep them in Christian school? And I was like, well, I want them to, you know, actually have like a proper sex ed class where that's not just, they aren't just taught that, you know, just taught about abstinence basically. And which, which what I think is hard to even grasp for a lot of people is that, listen, like, obviously I want my I want my kids to be abstinent for as long as humanly possible, preferably until they're married, but that may or may not be their reality. And I think at some point when you gloss over things like the pleasurable part of that and the reality that they may not be abstinent until their marriage, I mean, until they're married, then, then we're putting them in this category where they don't, they don't have the tools that they need to even make that decision. Right. Because exactly we haven't right. taught, we haven't taught them what they actually need to know. Exactly. So I'd love to hear your, <laughs> like, can you give me the data on abstinence only sex ed classes? Because I, I, I know you're no, I'm sure you can't cause it exists. Like I know that there is data that actually shows that if we're teaching abstinence only, I don't know that like those kids are more likely to be sexually active early. I'm totally making that up, but I'm pretty sure it exists. No, there used to be data out there that showed that they were much less likely to use any sort of protection and uh, they had sex earlier than people that were taught um, proper education. And so it is interesting. I think more and more states are trying to go towards comprehensive sex education because right what two percent of the population makes it to marriage um absolutely i don't know i'll look that yeah. up that's so I, probably pretty low yeah yeah and so i i think we do have to give our kids the tools and the cool thing about if the parents are the sex educators and not the schools is that you are able to instill your own family's beliefs values if it's your beliefs that you want your child to make it to marriage then you can send that in there right if you just want them to wait till they're in a a beautiful, loving relationship, you can instill that in there. So right. um, I think getting the medically accurate facts as well as what your family's beliefs and values are, that's the package, right? That's, yeah. that's what keeps them safe. So I don't ever count on just the school or the church or anybody else to, to give this ever education. I just challenge the parents. They really, your kids deserve for you to have these conversations with them. They really do. And the cool thing is research shows the more open parents are and the more they talk about things, not just sex, sex is the easiest one. If you can talk about sex, you can talk about anything, right? Um, but the more connected parents are to their kids, um, the risk reduction of all kinds of behaviors, it's like 35 different behaviors is reduced mm -hmm. in these kids. And so mm -hmm. that connectedness is really important. And, and I don't want to freak any parents out. I'm not a parent shamer. If you haven't had these conversations with your kids, you are never too late. I don't care how old your kids are. Um, just uh, try to find a time to start up a conversation and don't ever ask them directly do you know about sex or, you know, are you watching pornography or have you been sexting? I mean, all those questions puts yeah. kids on the defensive and they're immediately going to, you know, back away, but use pop yeah. culture, use, um, celebrity, use whatever you can. Hey, have you heard about pornography? Hey, have you, what do you think about sex? And, and try to start an open dialogue. And if you feel awkward, it's okay. Say, Hey, <laughs> this is really awkward, but it's my job as your parent to have this. You're the adult. Yeah. I got to do you this. Know? Yeah. Do this. Of course it's so. awkward, but like you're the adult and you got to step back and say, is it worth it for me to explain these things for, to my child in a way that they can understand 
and, and, you know, you talk about pornography. I think, I mean, the statistics on at the ages that kids are exposed to pornography and, and why it's, it's so harmful on their developing brains. And, um, and so, you know, the less we're talking about this and the less open and honest we're being, the more room there is for things like early exposure to that to come in and really then give them a completely unhealthy understanding of right. a, a relationship, a consensual relationship, you know, I mean, a million different things, right? So, you know, you you may think that your your child is, you know, that you're doing s- such a bang up job at home preaching, you know, shame and abstinence that you're going to like shame them out of doing these things. But the reality is that, that you're really put, you're not, you're pushing them into it. <laughs> like, we're being honest, you're probably opening the door yourself. It's hard. You know, it really is. And um, when we do these talks, uh, you know, even masturbation that we bring up, I'm saying all these words, are we allowed to talk about this, Claire? You can say whatever you want. And I will put, I will put a little, I, my podcast has the little um, expletive E on it anyway. Oh, it does. Okay. I've just said that. And I'm like, oh my God. No, you can say whatever you want. And I feel like probably when people are listening to this, it's like, should be pretty obvious that like, if you don't want your kids to do it, but I can put, I'll put a little disclaimer in the front. Okay. It's like, okay, hey, you, you may not want like your five-year-old. I said that. You're five. So, oh my gosh. So, but back to porn for just a second. Um, I, I work in college health and I will tell you so many kids use porn as a how-to and, and it's scary Sad. because the behaviors and pornography and what, kids in college help describe to me as what they do sexually is not real. Right. And so, yeah. but kids are exposed to porn at a younger and younger age and it is detrimental right. to their brain and to their own sexuality. Um, but if a parent finds it, I mean, I had somebody the other day, their six year old was looking at it on their iPad. Take a six? deep breath. Yes. You can, you can Google oh, anything these days wow. and it's free and they get it. But sometimes, um, pornography just pops up, right? And they have yeah. no, so you need to have a conversation early with them. So if you do see any pictures of naked bodies on your phone, please bring it to me, right? Don't go any deeper. The yeah. other is it can just happen from a completely curious search. Kids are curious bunches and they hear these body parts or they want to see naked body parts. It is so common for a nine-year-old and my oldest did this. So I hope she never listens to this because I've never told anybody this. <laughs> But I came downstairs on a Saturday morning and she was nine and she was on the big desktop and she had put naked boys and it was a screen full of penises. Were you traumatized from a level of one to 10? Were you like an 11? And you know, one of our biggest thing is girl allergies. Don't freak out. What did I do? I freaked out. (laughs) Right. And she's like, what, what did I do? You know, it was a completely innocent, curious search on her part. So, um, just be mindful. And as again, have these conversations and you know what, when you're talking about pornography, make sure you say, if you've ever seen it, you're not a bad person. Cause we, we talk about how bad pornography right. is. And if right. in their mind they've seen it, they're going to go, Oh, I must be dirty or gross. Cause I've seen it. So, you know, number one, don't say, have you seen pornography? You can say, have you heard of pornography? Uh, let me talk to you a little bit about it. You yeah. can bring up what it is, but if you have seen it, you're not a bad person. Let's just talk about it, but let them yeah. know that there's not anything real in pornography. There's right. no real boobs. They're hairless. They have huge body parts and they're scripted. Right. And it's just, I'm not even, you, you know, not I mean, real it's life. Yeah. not real life, not real and love. I, I feel like it's important to like, to, to know, I feel like the, the, the worse you make it on your kids in terms of this conversation of like how negative you make these things, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, you're going to guilt and shame them, which they then carry in a weird way for like the rest of their adulthood. Or two, they're like the kid, like me basically, who's like, okay, basically if my parents say it's bad, like that's what I'm going to go do. Like, that's what I'm going to go look for. Like how they, I mean, you know, my parents had to padlock the liquor cabinet. I'm sorry, but they did. Like, I, I mean, so I just, I feel like the, the more open, we can be as parents, hopefully the, the better, you know, the relationship will be with the, the child. And, but. 
it's different from when we grew up, right? Our parents probably didn't talk to, I'm in my fifties. Ooh, I'm old. And so my parents didn't really talk that much. I mean, I started my period when I was home with my dad, you know, um, mm, and my mom was that? off. Oh, uh, that's a whole nother story. Uh, but now we do have to change things around because information yeah. is so accessible to them. So yeah. we do have to, uh, be a, do a little bit better job than our parents. So, yeah. which so. is probably true for every single generation. I mean, there's going to be something that, my yes. kids are going to have to do that. I was terrible at, you know, whatever right. it was. I mean, I'm sure they'll, they'll have to be better because we're hopefully constantly learning, growing, changing. Yes. Um, do you feel like these conversations and well, kind of this is a twofold question, not just the conversations, but do you feel like kids are maturing earlier? Like as you've mm. gone further in your practice, cause you've been practicing for probably 20 ish years, right? 20, yes. 25 years. Thanks so, for saying, that out. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm almost 40. We're the same age. It's okay. same decade. <laughs> it's, it's all the same. So do, do you feel like I, I, I hear this kind of chatter around moms that, you know, it all goes back to kind of food, food stuff, basically like because of organic and because there was a period of time where they were allowed to use hormones in um, animal products, which were fortunately that's been outlawed, out, outlawed. So you know, all these meat products will say hormone free, which is like, that's a law. So of course they are, but, um, are kids going through puberty or because you can mature as a kid without having gone through puberty. So, but do you feel like either of those things are happening or earlier that you're noticing, or is it all kind of about the same? And we're just, we're just seeing it a little differently. So brain wise, mature wise, I don't know that kids, kids still want to be kids, but they uh -huh. get so much information that they don't really need to have as a kid, but they get it. And mm -hmm. so maturing wise, I, I don't know that I can necessarily say that. I think we, we put a lot on our kids at a young age, you know, yeah. um, body wise, there has been research that, um, girls are going through puberty earlier, but you know, our nutrition level, like you said, is totally, it's, I can't just say it's the hormones, it's the neuroendocrine disruptors. It's the, right. you know, there's nothing, it's obesity, it's social stressors at home. They're like four or five things that, that so many point, factors. Yeah. There's so many factors in that. But what's interesting is puberty has been moving up a little bit, but the age hmm. of starting uh, a period really hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, so huh. that's still, okay right at about 12 or 12 and a half. But um, there's so many factors involved in that and the way we live these days. So it's hard to say, but brain-wise, kids so just much. know so much more. Well, somebody asked me the other Exposed. day about a, a child, a friend of theirs whose um, child was starting to get what she felt like was a little too early, like at age eight or nine. And I was like, you know, I mean, the only term I know of is like precocious puberty. And I, I don't know, you know, so what do parents do if they feel like that's, that's happening? I mean, what's the general, what's the range of normal, I guess. So I range ask. of normal for girls starting puberty and it's usually breast buds, right? Yeah. And that's how yeah. majority, but some girls can start with the androgens and start with um, hair over their minds, but it really is, it could be anywhere from seven to 12. Okay. Now, girls of color, black or brown girls definitely start puberty a little bit earlier and they can be in that seven year range. Okay. Um, but, you know, if it is in the sevens, I would check in with your doctor, but eight to 12 is definitely normal range of starting puberty. Wow. Yeah. And that's, yeah. there's so many things that are in still in the range of normal, you know, that mm -hmm. I feel like we as parents don't even realize you're like, oh my God, this is happening to my eight year old. This is too soon. But there's always, you know, that, that big range of normal. So yeah. That's a really five year difference. Yeah, you that's know? huge. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some girls that are 11 that don't have breasts feel terrible. They can't believe all their friends are, you know, you know, and the right. age of starting a period is a huge range. It's from nine to 16. And when I say that moms freak out because they have a nine year old, but there's got to be a lot that's going on. They've got to be in the process mm -hmm. of puberty one to three years after breast bud. They're going to have pretty filled in pubic hair. You know, they're going to mm -hmm. have a growth spurt before they start. But if a girl does develop breast at seven, she could start a period at nine. And so- Nine mm -hmm. to 16 is a normal age of having, starting a period. Yeah. So interesting. It's funny. I need to send you this. Do you ever, are you ever on TikTok? Oh, yes. Okay. I'm a stalker. I've got, <laughs> I've got to send you this TikTok I found the other day about this girl talking about her first period and like she was out with her friends and had to use a tampon and they were at the pool or whatever. And it brought up the funniest conversation around uh, with all my friends about like, 
learning to use a tampon and like pe- being at a water park and think, you know, it's half in half out. You don't know what's going on. And then it basically becomes like a sponge that expands. Anyway, I, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to have to send it to you. I don't know if people on my Instagram would appreciate it enough, but maybe I'll put <laughs> and that's one of our most common questions from kids is how do I put a tampon in? Yeah. So- we have our own Girlology Volvo puppet um, and we have several videos on our website that describes from beginning to end on how to put a tampon in. It's in our books, but it is, it's a common question. And you know, when can yeah. you start wearing a tampon? You can start wearing a tampon from the first period that you have. It is perfectly safe. Um, but a lot of girls feel more confident using pads until they get used to their period. But, um, well, and now they've got the period underwear, which is like, it's awesome. Oh my gosh. If I, I mean, can, cause you know how, like, so I have, this is so much more information than literally no one asked for this information, but here it is. So like I've had an IUD for years. And so I like, don't really don't have a period anymore, which is magical. Highly recommend. Morena. Is that what you Morena? Yeah. Yes. Get one. Go like, Morena. I have my, this is my third or fourth. Amazing. Well, when I was going through all the headache stuff and trying to figure out blah, 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 I switched briefly to copper. And so I started getting a period again. And I was like, this, who wants to do this? This is the worst. And then it brought me back like PTSD flashbacks of being in middle school. And you're like, you know, oh my gosh, you're, there's, you're on your pants and you're whatever. And you can't like accidents happen constantly. And you don't know because you're in class and Oh my gosh. But I think now these kids, they don't even know how good they have it. You can wear your period underwear under your, you know, and you can still have in your tampon and you go about and live your normal life. Like you kids don't realize how good you have it with the period underwear. And why didn't we invent the period underwear, Claire? Where were we? I don't, where have we been? I don't know. Oh my gosh. No, they are awesome. And my kids wear them as backups more so than just, right. um, Right. but there are some that will hold, you know, two to three. I mean, they're awesome. Some people totally. just use them by themselves. There is a, there is a period underwear thong. I just get tickled when I think about that one. Now I'll be honest. I don't understand how the logistic, like I, I don't feel like that would be something that I would want to do, but I mean, I've never really heard if people that use them. Like I've never heard anybody say, Oh, I used it and I didn't like it. I mean, I think right. for the most part, people like it, you know, yeah. but, so I can't figure out how they do it, but whatever they've done it, you know, great. And it's good on them. seven layers. It's amazing. The, the, um, how all of it works together, absorbent cotton. And then there's a layer that pulls it away from you. And then there's a waterproof layer. Um, it's pretty crazy, but now they have uh, period workout pants, period bathing suits, period workout pants. Yes. Bathing and, suits? yes. Stop it. Yes. Is it the same company? Yes. Several companies are doing it, but it's, it's really cool. Well, that is dadgum genius. Wow. I want to try the bathing suit, but I don't have a period anymore either, but I'm like, right. You know, <laughs> not my problem. I know. I know. No so it's, it's very problem. cool. And Gosh. you know, environmentally friendly products, people are moving towards the menstrual cups, which are really cool too. Also so. probably not for me, but that, you know, Hey, if people want to do it, great. If you're hiking um, the Appalachian trail, you might want to do it. I was, oh gosh, I just thought of a question that I was like, I've got to ask you this. And now I can't remember. Oh, how, how do you talk? Let's shift over to boys. Cause I feel like okay. there are definitely going to be some boy moms. Okay. How do you talk to your boy moms or boy dads or boy grown up parent, you know, whoever they are adults about, you know, okay. I'm going to tell you a little story. So another friend of mine's kid I think he was like eight or nine and the birds and the bees came up at dinner and they started talking you know and he talked about these parents are both physicians and so they spoke about it in a very matter-of-fact concise way and the kid was like the little boy was like dad why why would anybody want to do that and I love this response and the dad goes well and he kind of thought about it and he's like well son because it feels really good you know (laughs) and so like how do you talk to your boys kids I'm saying boys because I feel like boys are more driven by this typically than, than girls are, but about that, but then still being, you know, respectful and consensual and all of it. I mean, that has to be tough waters to navigate for, for boy parents. 
I think so too. And, and I think it has to start with the facts around the body and just letting them know what their body's doing, you know, and our uh, boys uh, puberty programs, we definitely go into, you know, you've been having erections since you were a baby, but mm -hmm. when you start going through puberty, which puberty is normal for boys anywhere between the ages of nine and 14 and puberty okay. with boys, it starts with their testicles. So parents very rarely know when their boys are starting puberty, unless they're measuring their testicle size. No, no, no hopefully they're, they're not. not. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and so we do talk about with the, um, when you start going through puberty, you have more testosterone, which causes more spontaneous erections. And we tell them exactly what erection is. And then we go into, um, you know, ejaculations and we really talk about wet dreams. And, you know, once your body starts making sperm, which happens in puberty, the cool thing is girls are born with all the eggs they'll ever need. Boys start making sperm in puberty and it's the sperm and the egg, okay. the two cells that actually will create, you know, this, I'm telling you, like I'm talking to a kid. Well, but not everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. So, but the, once the male body starts making sperm, sometimes it has to get rid of some of it. And, and so uh, one of our training videos to teach other physicians, teach our programs, I was describing what an ejaculation was into a group of parents and their sons. And the, the little guy on the very front row, I started describing about how it goes through. And, you know, we always joke about how, you know, when you stop for a trip, you need to get drinks and snacks. Well, the sperm have to pass through these little areas in the male body to get the drinks and the snacks and it becomes semen. The semen comes out the tip of the penis. He went, boom. Stop. He passed, he passed out. out. <laughs> <laughs> he went total vasovagal and just oh, lost it. it. So uh, it, it's interesting when you talk about these things, we've had people vomit. We've had people laugh hysterically because <laughs> they can't handle it. We've had people pass out. So you never know what reactions you get with this, but I think it's really important for boys to understand that. And, um, and then when you talk about ejaculation, it's an orgasm and an orgasm feels good. And not only guys have orgasms, girls have orgasms too. And, mm -hmm. and we talk about masturbation because that is a topic that most parents don't like to touch upon, but I think we have to normalize it some, right? Yeah. And our three comments that we always say with guyology are, and girlology, um, or is this not a um, real popular dinnertime conversation, obviously. Um, yeah. It is not a spectator sport, very important. Um, and then it shouldn't take up all your free time. And if you are going by those three rules, then everything's okay. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, because we have to hit on pleasure, but we have to hit on respect and consent. Right. Um, and consent can start really, really early. Can I hold your hand? Um, you know, you can start teaching consent when your little one is very little and work all the way up. I have people ask me often, like, uh, when they have a shy child and they're pushing their child to hug their grandmother or forcing them to yeah. give so-and-so a kiss. And, and that makes me cringe because it's outside of that person has boundaries and have made boundaries for themselves. So parents be careful if you do have, a shy um, or a child who feels awkward about that, don't push them outside of doing something that they feel uncomfortable doing. Yeah. So, I don't yeah, know if I answered I think, your question, Claire. No, I just you, went all over the you place. did. No, you, you did. And, and, and talking about how you don't have to be teaching your kids about sexual consent to be teaching them about respect yes. boundaries. I mean, like you said, you gave the example of, can I hold your hand? Like I think about, you know, young kids, like what a sweet thing that, that doesn't have to, you're not asking them, can we have sex? I mean, but it's all instilling in them the idea that it's valuable, you know, to ask in a respectful way to do this, you know, can I, do you, can I you hug know, you before you go you? to school? You know, can yeah. I give you a good night kiss? You know, yeah. and I think if, if you start instilling those behaviors, I think it really helps as they get older to expect yeah. and also that they the should be respect. asked. Yeah. Right. And, and then, and teaching them, like you said, and I'm so guilty of this too, you know, because you get, you know, give, give aunt so-and-so whatever a hug. And then you're like, oh gosh, you're embarrassed because your kid won't give him a hug. But then <laughs> really what you're teaching is it's not okay for you to say no, you know, right. and which seems silly. And I think there are a lot of people that feel like that's too like snowflakey or whatever, but it's really not. I mean, we're teaching these kids in subtle ways when it's okay to say yes and no about everything, you know, no means no, stop, means stop, right? Yeah. Even yeah. when you're tickling and they're telling you to say, stop, stop. That's what yeah. you know, stop. 
And, I, and yeah. as long as you start listening to that, but you know, consent used to be all around no means no, but now we're more into affirmative consent. Yes means yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. so when it becomes a sexual behaviors, because there's so much gray on what no is or no response that, that consent really is about both people saying yes. And, mm-hmm. and that's an important lesson too. Yeah. Gosh, it's all, it's so important. And I've remembered what I was going to ask you. Okay. So when we were talking to, we're all over the place talking about Morena, how do you handle, um, adolescents who ask mom or whoever for birth control? And, and because I'm sure there are some moms that are, I I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm thinking about my own, you know, I've got two girls and that's got to be really tough. So how do you handle that with patients? So, a lot of times I've had girls come to me without their parents knowing that they want birth control, right? right. And it depends right. on what state you're in, at what level can you provide that care? Um, and so I have prescribed birth control for kids whose parents don't know, but I push them to talk to their parents because it's like carrying a rock around in your pocketbook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mom's going to find out and it's going to blow up. So I always say, well, let me help you have this conversation with her. Why do you want to go on birth control? Or if she's got acne, there are other reasons that we can do it or heavy periods or cramps mm-hmm. or other medical reasons that we can use a pill besides just um, contraception. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I like to do, but I also appreciate that that teenager is advocating <laughs> for their own health care, you know? And, and what I tell kids too, is I'm like, you know, I bet your mom would be really proud of you taking care of your health care more so than angry uh, with you. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one, but there are a lot of non-contraceptive benefits to birth control. And there also is the contraceptive benefits that we don't want our kids to get pregnant at an early age. And, and if they are um, acting in adult behaviors, then they need to protect themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I looked up the statistic earlier when you, you said it about um, the percentage of Americans that had sex before marriage and it's anywhere from 95 to 99%. Huh. I mean, that's, that's pretty staggering. So you, you just have to say as a parent, it's like when we talk about the Gardasil vaccine, oh my gosh, you have parents that don't want to do it because they feel like they're giving their kids some permission slip to go have sex. And I'm like, guys, just the reality, the reality is that your child, whether they're 17 or, or 25, I mean, we're not saying putting an age on that. The, the reason we do it at a younger age is to give them the maximal benefit of, you know, their whole, hopefully adult life. But it just, I feel like I know so many parents, particularly in the, you know, conservative Christian circles that, that just don't want to look at the the reality of numbers and statistics. Right. I mean, you just can't ignore that. But but I will also tell you, and I know you know this, Claire, is that just because you talk about sex doesn't make your child go out and have sex. Right, right. Uh, the opposite right. is true. The more you right. talk about it, the the better they are to hold off on having sex. So I think that's really important. And yay, HPV vaccine, cervical cancer. It is amazing. So please, the earlier you get it in your child, the more robust of an immune response they have to it. And you get it in before any exposure to any of the HPV viruses. So please, please, please. I'm a huge proponent of vaccines. And head neck cancer. You know, I mean, I worked in head neck cancer at MUSC. We saw the worst of the worst cases. I mean, every, you know, all over the state from other surgeons who couldn't fix them, they come to us. And I mean, you want to see something devastating, obviously cervical cancer is, but like you're 40 years old and you lose your ability to eat, speak, Mm. you know, you were taking your leg and turning it into the lower half of your face because we had to remove the lower half of your face. I mean, cause they oral. And the reason I'm saying that is because oral cancer now had neck cancer is, you know, I think it's about 40% of, of oropharyngeal cancers are HPV mediated. Um, but they're just it, now starting to put that on there, which is great because they were, they were yeah. not saying it. They were just saying all those parts down there, but now they're saying that the HPV yep. vaccine is protective towards um, yep. head and neck cancers, which yay, which is yeah. really cool. It's, it's a lot more than just cervical. Um, yes. So I feel like we should end on that note because I'm like, <laughs> what? I love vaccines, love all, no, I, I get it. I mean, parents are, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's a harder it can be a hard decision to make. I mean, it's not for me, but that doesn't mean it's not a hard decision to make for other people. And, and I love that. So do you feel like you can, you can actually see that the parents who talk 
more to their kids about these things and more openly tend to have children. That's just your opinion. Obviously that's not a research. It is my opinion, but research does show, like I said, the more connected parents are to their kids, it reduces risk in 35 different areas from teenage driving, substance abuse, all that kind of stuff. And, and parents, it only sometimes just takes 10 minutes of active listening with your teenager a day, 10 mm-hmm. minutes. And that truly means put your phone down, listen, have a bi-directional conversation. I think it's really important, but mm-hmm. Claire, I'll tell you what I told my kids. And, um, and I think this is really important when we talk about sex and, and around issues around sex, of course, I always say, I would like for you to wait till you're married, but I also know that that's, probably not going to happen, but I expect for you to wait until you are in a bi-directional adult loving relationship. Yeah. People are getting married later these days. And, you know, I just think they need to realize that it's something that needs to um, happen in a loving adult relationship. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man. Tricky waters to navigate. It is. Bless you for doing it. I'm just, I'm sure I'll be calling you. I've got two and a half years left until eight. So I'm like, well, you, you got some time. TikTok. Some uh, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be calling you. And I uh, hope I haven't offended anybody with the words I've used. I just, I use them every day. And so they're so comfortable for me. And I apologize. We shouldn't be offended. I, if I mean, why, you know, why are we offended? I think that's a question. If you're offended, what, what's, what it is, it, what is it that offends you? Yeah. You I know? think it's just upbringing and how you were, you yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. It's well, hard. tell people, tell people where they can find you and all the girlology resources and your website and your Instagram. Tell everybody all of that. Great. So we, our website is girlology.com and we actually have an app that you can download for free. Um, but please join our community. We have information for, um, girls and their parents and for guys anywhere. We really focus on eight to 14 age range, um, and outsource to us. We're happy to help you with the conversations. We have, um, classes on our website that cover everything from anxiety. Um, We talk about ADHD. We talk about celiac disease. We talk about everything about puberty periods. We are all girls health, um, but we definitely want to help you with those more awkward conversations uh, or the more difficult conversations. And we're on Instagram. Everything's at Girlology. So G-I-R-L-O-L-O-G-Y. Follow us. We'd love to hear from you. If you join our community, let us know what we can do to help you. If there's a topic that you want us to cover, um, we are happy to work on that as well. So, and you're always looking for more pediatricians to join, yeah. you know, to, to partner with you guys and join in what we are doing and, and bring your, because I mean, I'm sure it's awkward for them too. I mean, it's right. not something we, that comes naturally to everybody. Yeah. We have a national presence. We partner with, um, we're partnered with Harvard and we're helping teach their residents. And, uh, because you know, when you get out of residency, you know, you know how to put an IV in an eight month old baby, but you have no idea how to talk about puberty. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. So we're working with hospital systems and other pediatricians just to help. Um, so girls have access to this, um, medically accurate information. So yeah. This has been awesome. Join and I know team. It'll be super helpful. I've got tons of listeners who are, are moms and, and it parents. If you're not a mom or parent, sorry, today was probably, uh, you probably just skipped right over it. You know what? That's fine too. <laughs> so, but this has been super helpful. Um, so as always, guys, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, send it to your friends. This is how we get great guests and accurate medical information to you. Um, give us a rating and subscribe and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.